Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory relentless performance for your firearms. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light. Creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First light. Go farther, stay longer. Okay, we're recording in Catch Can Alaska. Me and Seth are doing this one like, uh, you know who John Lennon is, right? Yeah. Got shot, Beatles and everything. Yep. Um, You know his wife, Yoko Ono? I don't know. You're not aware that there was a dude named John Lennon with a wife named Yoko Ono? Uh, no, I am that. You asked if I knew her. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No other. Anyways, yes. me and Seth are doing a, um, what was that? Evan, do you remember what that was called? Uh, where they, they wouldn't get out of bed? Uh, where they wouldn't get out of bed? Yeah, they did like a bed in. Remember they oh, wouldn't leave yeah, bed? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It was it's me a, and Seth right now in this hotel yeah, bed. exactly. It's exactly the same. John Lennon and Yoko. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> they did, they wouldn't get out of bed and they did everything in bed. It's like me and Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Joined today by Evan Hafer. Now, you don't know this probably. When the pandemic hit, you were our first remote, the first ever remote person. That's right. I did because you told me that when we were on the show. You said, I hate this. I don't like doing them like this. And I can't wait to get back to doing them in person. And here you are. And here I am. How did you like the title of that show? Roasting Coffee in the CIA. That was a good title, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm sure it didn't really well. I don't know really if it's well. true or not. Well, it was because I was technically in the CIA and roasting coffee. So oh. I don't know if that's the, the entirety of the show, but it was. No, but I, I liked it. I thought the title was good. It was really good. But I had questions about whether that you might come to me and be like, well, actually, I didn't do that then. No, no, I did. Excellent. Yeah. Um, 
In Catch Can Alaska, coming after, uh, off of uh, some wet ass days, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about that hunting hunting blacktail deer um, on Prince Wales Island, and we'll return to that. We got a couple uh, as as per usual. As usual, we got some stuff we got to cover off on. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with my order because dirt. Can you uh, explain what happened to your friend, man? The, the bear, the bear guy. Oh, he. This is a great story. This is a real. This is a real. Uh, you know, happening. Makes its own gravy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think we're on the same page. The uh, the, the tranquilizer yeah. guy. So my buddy Kevin Wiederman, Wiederman. He, he was you at, know it's not that good of friends, huh? <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard last name. Anyways. Well, which which one is it? Or don't you know? Wiederman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was hunting up at our, uh, the family cabin I was telling you about. Well, don't give away his spot, no, no. dude. No. Oh, okay. Just, we'll stay at that. that. And uh, shot a bear. And at the check station, FWP said it had been, it had it was collared, and they they realized it had been tranquilized twenty days prior, and told him not to eat the meat. Okay, but hold, on. I, I wish you would. Oh, you got to the point real quick. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to back up a little bit. Did he know it was collared? No, he couldn't tell, and he t- he told me that when I talked to him, he's like couldn't tell. Why not? What color was the collar? I don't know. Couldn't tell it was collared. Mm-mm. Or tagged. Maybe it was an air tag. I don't know. Okay. And then was it tranquilized and moved or tranquilized? Yeah. It was It was a trouble. So he shot a lost bear. It was relocated. No. Yeah. And this this was all, initially when I texted you, it was a text with what I asked you. And then I called him before our flight out here to get the gist real quick. And that's all I got was, yeah, man, couldn't tell it was. Whatever. And they said, we tranquilized this bear 20 days ago. You shouldn't eat it because that tranquilizer drug is in there. Yeah, they they recommended 30 days to wait 30 days. And before that, not to consume the meat. And he, so he, he, he didn't in w- 10 days, it would have been okay to eat the tranquilizer yeah. bear. And he, he called, he his, his intuition was to eat the meat. But sure. he knew I ran with some folks that knew a lot about that type of stuff. And he said, ask your buddies, you know, what they think. And I asked you and Cal, and both of you guys were like, eat it. Dr. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't want someone coming after me. I don't want to well, meet Now the, you might be. I don't want to meet the shit and then coming after me later Held on. accountable. Did yeah. he feel sleepy or something? No. What if he eats it and feels sleepy? I don't know. Do you ever listen to this show, the show you're on right now? Yeah. You do? Yeah. So maybe you caught the episode where... We talked about a guy that was shot by a tranquilizer. I didn't listen to that. They were one. doing they were doing mountain lion research stuff, and they wanted to trank a mountain lion, but they didn't want it to fall out of the tree and get hurt. So the guy was up in the tree with it, like they'll put out nets and stuff. They they no joke like put out nets to catch yeah. the mountain lion. Yeah. Somehow the lion like they hit it and the lion gets tangled up like falls asleep on the branch. So he's got to go up there and try to finagle it down and yeah. you know get it to the ground. Gets up there and it's the, it's not asleep. Just so rock. he is hooting and hollering about getting the gun back up there because he wants to place the shot because it's in a place where they can't get at it. Either way, they come up with an idea to he's going to lower a rope down <laughs> and the guy's going to tie the tranquilizer gun to the rope. I don't understand this, but in the process, he gets shot. 
of him tying it through the trigger guard <laughs> tranks the guy in the tree. <laughs> I need to listen to this one. They had to haul him out of the mountains on a mule. But he didn't die. Didn't die. Interesting. So, yeah. point being, this is for your friend with the bear. Mm-hmm. Here's a man that took the full load of the trank and was in himself, and he's lived to tell about it. Yeah. So now you got a bear that has some amount of it for how many days? 20 days? Yeah. Metabolizing it. It's distributed throughout its carcass. He's going to presumably eat it in a piecemeal fashion. Yeah. Totally Not like fine. he's going to sit down and eat 100 pounds of, like, in a sitting. Yeah. He's going to eat a half pound here, a quarter pound there. He's a big eater. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to eat at all, but <laughs> but you see my point, man. Yeah. Like, I in times like this, I always ask myself this. I'm like, will this be the thing that ends up killing me? Yeah. Negative on that, and I'm always like, yeah, probably not, man. It'll probably be like the normal shit that kills everybody. What? And the, there may not be an answer, but why the the thirty days? Do you think? Don't know. Why'd they come up with that number? Don't know. Yeah. That's probably how long it takes to get out of the system. Check out the brain on Seth over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll follow up. See Crafty little feller. See if Kev's laying up in that bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All comfy. He he hangs yeah. out with Yoko Ono, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um Yeah, so that's that's a good one. Maybe maybe a tranquilizer expert will write in. Oh, so um also auction house of oddities. We're on auction group number four. So we're going to keep running the auction house for a while here. Got a lot of items still. So right now, auction group number four, we have a signed copy of Ridgeline by uh, two-time podcast guest Michael Punk. Um, that, so that's his new book, signed. Jason Phelps. Now get this one. So Phelps just hunted the 2020 elk season successfully. I watched him with my own two eyes. Uh his bow. So he's got a PSE Evo NXT35 stripped of accessories. So you can you can go buy Phelps's actual elk hunting bow and the actual bugle tube he used all throughout the 2020 season. A well-bloodied bugle tube. Uh the prototype. So we worked with we we have like skull mounts out, like desk mounts, wall mounts. We work with a, my favorite fabricator, Travis Barton, Barton Fabrication, um, near our hometown there. We worked with him to make these things, and he came up with like a prototype. We're auctioning off the prototype wall skull mount. One-of-a-kind shit here, folks. Uh, we also got a hand-forged carving knife by Kirkpatrick Forge in Sheridan, Oregon. This is one of a pair of knives we had. The other one's gone now. Designed for carving large hunks of meat. Riley Kirkpatrick made this for Callahan to be used on special occasions. But Cal says they're too nice for how infrequently he has special occasions happen to him. So he wants someone that'll uh, be able to put this thing to good use. Also, our very own Maggie Smith, uh, a beautiful photograph photograph of a bull moose. The photograph is called Some Serious Side-Eye. It's a bull moose in velvet from our own videographer and editor, Maggie Smith. She was uh, doing a river trip, ran into a bunch of four, five moose. This one struck her. She, photog- she snapped hundreds of photos of it. 
this is her favorite one. And then uh, Moss Montana Moss Agate Hoop Earrings. So Spencer the Rock Hound Newharf, uh, our very own, who runs our trivia program here, he found them. His wife turned them into beautiful pieces of uh, jewelry. Those are on the auction house. And then continuing on the auction house, it's something you don't got to buy. Go sign up for a chance to win uh, Das Boat. Do- it's like Dos Boat. So it's the boat from Das Boat Season 2. We already gave away the boat from Das Boat 1. This is the boat from Das Boat 2. It belonged to my childhood fishing mentor, John Gary. When he passed away, it came to live at my house. Lived in my mom's pole barn. I moved away. It lived in their pole barn for 20 years. We got it out, refurbished it, put a new Honda four-stroke on it. Got it a beautiful, uh, crazy-ass paint job. It's all tricked out with everything you could possibly want. Dos Boat. Dos Boat up for grabs right now go sign up and get it speaking of the auction house uh we had skunk essence we gave away a bottle of skunk essence that uh that me and seth and chester pulled out of some skunks with a syringe and then this prompted a lot of people to write in skunk stories here's a skunk story it's not a prank but it's just a good skunk essence story it has to do with skunk essence and, and freedom mounts and furnaces so this guy goes on to say he's in iowa hunting shotgun season and he finds a large white tail deadhead now you got deadheads that like the dead right evan yep and then you got deadheads that are dead things dead things this is a dead thing deadhead it's a dead white tail got it you <laughs> <laughs> didn't find just a dead a dead deadhead just a dead deadhead <laughs> it's a just a deadhead be easy to find. Very colorful. <laughs> <laughs> Tie-dyed, more than likely. Yeah, because yeah, if he was getting a skull mount of a dead deadhead that he found, Illegal. I would probably notify. I'd have to notify yeah. the authorities because I don't want to be implicated. <laughs> but this is a dead whitetail's head. So here's what he does. <laughs> Doesn't make total sense. He he <laughs> takes the head and antlers and puts it in a garbage bag. Sure, that makes sense. Then he places it in the window well of his uncle's house. Odd. Keeping it safe? Why? Yeah. No, no, no. You find a dead skull, put it in a bag, I'm with you. Any nine out of ten people are going to bag it. Puts it in his uncle's window well, where it resides for some time. Eventually... The uncle, the, who owns the window well, takes the bag with the deadhead into the furnace room. Mm. Unbeknownst to him, a skunk is in the bag. What? Oh, there was a snack, miss. snacking on the rotten <laughs> head. They got in there from the window well? And he grabs the bag. Okay. When the skunk gets in the house and starts cutting loose, it, it gives this furnace a direct hit. Oh. <laughs> Two years later, when you come in the house, there's still the faintest skunk smell. Little whiff. That'd make you want to just replace your whole furnace. Sure. This, this or, the whole, or the whole house. It, it makes me... Yeah, it's getting a little extreme, but yeah. It makes me think that it might have been a deadhead 
that found the deadhead. Because that yeah. story, that would crazy. explain. <laughs> That's a crazy story. Yeah, could be. That yeah. might be a good show, right? Deadheads hunting for deadheads. <laughs> it's like you have deadheads that walk around the woods. Nothing's harmed, and then you follow what they do with the deadheads when they find them. Window sills. Yeah. I have a skunk question. There, it might be a better time than Go now. Ahead. No, that's a great time. No, uh, no time like the present for that kind of stuff, Dirk. My neighbor's dog. Uh, this was right before New Mexico, actually. I was okay. going to bring it up, but didn't get a chance. Um, bit off the, attacked a skunk, got sprayed, and um, when they went out to figure out what was going on, this skunk's tail was with Pintler is the dog's name. Now, does that, does the tail... Oh, can you back up? I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Dog attacked the skunk. Okay. And at the crime scene, they found the skunk's tail and a sprayed dog. The dog ripped the skunk's tail off. Yeah. My question is, does the tail regulate that action? Like, was it a loose cannon at that point? Just <laughs> right. You know <laughs> Like yeah. honest question, like yeah. cutting the nozzle off a hose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a skunk. Just I don't know. I That'd was... probably be one for Heffelfinger. Yeah, but I'm gonna say doesn't regulate. The, that's not how he regulates. Okay, that tail is almost like I want to think it's almost like a warning flag because it's so colorful. It's like yeah, yo. When yeah. they raise that up, you know it's time to get the heck out of yeah. there. In in fur trap and lore, um, Seth, you'll have your own thing about this. Yep. In fur, w- when I was a kid, in in fur trap and lore, when you have a skunk, and, and they're generally like in the old days, people would trap skunks for the commercial markets. They still have value, but now they have value on the how do you what do you call it novelty trade. Yeah, skunk prices aren't tied to fur markets, so they're not tied to sort of like all the international shit like oil prices and what the economy in South Korea is like and what the Russians are up to. Um, like normal fur that goes into fur garments is sort of tied to all this, you know, political, global, economic shit. Uh, so it's tied to like a company that could be making something specific like a jacket that ends up being really popular and all of a sudden the skunk prices might go No, up. it's all novelty. I see. The novelty, the skunk fur market is novelty trade. So it's like your drunk uncle would think it's funny to have a skunk hat. Or people want a skunk wall hanging. It's like, it doesn't go, it's like the novelty trade drives skunk prices. So skunk prices stay pretty stable. Like I think like a, like a put up skunk stays around like not much. What was Five, that? Five, six bucks. Oh, okay. I was curious. Uh, what was I getting at? Oh. But skunks are a very common bycatch, fox and coyote trapping. We, um, we caught a bunch of them coyote in a bunch of coyote sets that Seth and I set this year. Hence, yeah, the bottle of skunk essence. Yep. Um, uh, I was always taught that if you shot it in the heart with a twenty-two, um, that's the best way to make it not spray. Nowadays, people um, have a syringe on a long stick. Yep. Trank it? No. I don't even want to tell you what they put in there. Ooh. This is a family program. 
My imagination is yeah. wild. <laughs> it's Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> this skunk is real. The skunk is real energetic. Yeah, it'd be dangerous. We're done on that, right? Skunks. Yeah, I guess. I still so. didn't get an answer on the tail, but maybe someone. No, I'm will. telling you, man. I don't think that has anything to do with it. There's not a muscle. No, I'm sure that he's got like a. I'm sure that he's got like a sh- uh, a sphincter type, prostate type thing or another that. It's got a muscle. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. Um, is that is that skunk essence, like drawing over someone win it? Yeah. Garrett's getting ready to ship it out. I wonder. I'd oh, you want to cu- know what? I'd uh, be curious what they're going to do with it. I don't know. You want to know what uh, Joe Beaver there um, in Minnesota? What he does with it? How they store it. It's a hot tip. They probably don't store it like you, stuck to the outside of your house. They don't. No, they don't staple it to their <laughs> outside of their house. They. He said, "What you do is you get like a coffee can filled full of sand." Oh. Now there's a thing that's going obsolete. Coffee cans. Evan can probably tell you all about that. That might be a cool retro product. Funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I do cans. The old, oh, you do? The yeah. old type of can that you'd put worms in when you got yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. You do? Or bolts. We do a uh, aluminum can on some of our limited offerings. Yeah. So then you can put Sweet. your worms in there, bolts, mm-hmm. or yeah, they, spent casings, whatever people put in coffee cans. Well, that was part of the genesis because I was out cleaning out my grandfather's shop. And he had all these cans, coffee cans, like everywhere, right? Nuts and bolts. And I was like, once you, and they were all the Folgers cans. They're all red. Yeah. And I was like, this guy drank the same coffee for probably 30 years. Because he liked to have his garage organized. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> I was like, man, I think this business might be kind of sticky. <laughs> <laughs> He reinvented the wheel, man. No. <laughs> um, oh, anyways, to store um, skunk essence and other very potent odors like fox urine or whatever, <laughs> take a can like that and fill it full of sand, and then you put it in the you put the bottle in the middle of the sand, and then pack the sand on. Protects it from breaking the odor. He said the odor doesn't get out of that. Huh. It's just packed in sand. It is a good tip. Yeah. Here's an interesting deal. Corinne, I could tell, thinks this is super... Corinne's not with us right now, but I can tell she thinks it's super interesting because of how much uh, she really liked a lot. Like, if Corinne really like, If Corinne finds an interesting thing and she, she'll highlight the part she likes, holy smokes, she likes a lot of this article. It's about that California condors... Now, I need to know if other birds can do this, too. You guys ever heard of parthenogenesis? No. Nope. Okay. Bear with me. At a time that we were down like very like California condors due to you know poisoning and, and shooting and habitat destruction became you know like they're they're very famous um, for how low their population got to be where they were saved from they, they were saved through captive breeding programs so it, in eighty two there were only twenty two California condors in existence okay. Apparently, it's hard to look at a condor and tell if you're looking at a boy or a girl, um, which is true with a lot of birds. you got to kind of open their cloaca up, and you'll find this little wormy thing in there. Anyhow, they developed the test 
um, to determine the sex of the condors, and they split these birds up into these in, into two captive breeding facilities. As this captive breeding thing went on over the years, they also began doing DNA testing on these birds because they wanted to avoid breeding closely related individuals. Recently now, scientists decided to undertake a complete genetic analysis of the population, which is now, you know, some 900 birds. So from 22 to 900. And they have all these like samples from condors, right? They have blood, they have eggshell membranes, they have tissue from deceased birds, they have feathers from birds. So they're doing this analysis of all these birds. And they find two birds out of the 900. There's two birds that are missing genetic material from the male who shared the enclosure with the female that laid the eggs. You track it, Samantha? Mm-hmm. This is cool. You seriously think that? Yeah. This is awesome. They did multiple samples off these birds because they felt they were making a mistake. They were confident it wasn't a mistake. What they realize is that condors, at least this couple times, can reproduce through parthenogenesis, a form of reproduction in which an egg can develop into an embryo without being fertilized by a sperm. Seems like there was an error somewhere. No. I don't believe so. Check this out. Condors can live into their 50s but both of the male chicks born of asexual reproduction were relatively small and died before becoming sexually mature at 1.9 and 7.9 years old. Then the article goes on to be annoying. <laughs> Wait, how does a female have a male baby without any fertilization? You'll have to write these people and ask them. Okay. Does any other bird do that? I'm sure it does. Once, once look up par, look up that word. Here's where the article gets annoying. And this is the thing that everybody does that's super annoying. Goes on to say, he adds, speaking of one of the scientists, that the condor is a remarkable species that has survived from the Pleistocene era. Everything has survived from the Pleistocene <laughs> era. <laughs> People are like, the muskox, a Pleistocene relic. Why don't they say, like, humans, a Pleistocene relic? Or rats, a Pleistocene yeah. relic. Or chickadees, a Pleistocene relic. Literally like, special thing. No, there's not, like, you can't name a creature that's not a Pleistocene relic. Yeah. You can't. Name me one. Name a creature, like, from, 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 the, from the Pleistocene-Holocene transition, what brand new things are there? Got me. Every, but why Why is it always the muskox, the Pleistocene relic? No one's ever like the white-tailed deer. <laughs> Pleistocene, Pleistocene relic. relic. <laughs> it's like everything is. That should be the next T-shirt. You'd have just like a bunch of pictures of... Dude, it'd be like a dude. It's a shirt with a dude. Pleistocene yeah. relic. Like It looks like, like a, just a dude like me. And it says Pleistocene relic. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we should have a T-shirt oh, to sell Steve's, that like hotcakes, man. Steve's face on a T-shirt that says Pleistocene <laughs> relic. 
<laughs> I don't know with if the, I want to be the person on it, but I think it'd be a great shirt. With the glasses down. <laughs> yeah. It's a glasses down Pleistocene relic. Yeah. Like when I'm like when I put my <laughs> yeah, when exactly. I pull my spectacles to the tip of my nose. You can see yeah. near and far. You can do a special fish egg edition where they're all fogged up. Uh, or con- are condors special other than being Pleistocene relics? Well, they're special, but there's only 22 of them left. Now, they're also the, the condors also sit at the, and this this sort of ties into a thing I'm not going to spend too much time on. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit ugly, right? It gets a little bit ugly. So, if you were to go and ask, a, like, see, I'm 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 getting into the deep end of the pool here, dirt. This is where like, like biology it. meets politics. Oh, I don't okay? like that. Lead, lead, yep. In um, hunters are often blamed for continuing condor deaths. Other people point up other causes of lead, but condors have a lot of problems with lead poisoning. Some people point to that they're getting the lead from scavenging carcasses left over by hunters, and they're ingesting lead, and then mm-hmm. it'll be fifty years, and over the course of fifty years, they find enough deer carcasses and get lead. Um, now, like for, it was in the eighties when the lead ban came for waterfowl, mm-hmm. everybody got pissed. People eventually got used to it, but like you used to be able to shoot lead at ducks and geese or people that quit hunting ducks and geese because they had to switch to steel, mm-hmm. non-toxic shot. California had like the condor recovery zone and you could, you couldn't use lead ammunition in the kind of the, the condor recovery zone, even like 22s and stuff. You got yeah. copper. This article, like like a lot of articles like this, they always have they always take like a little pot shot at hunters, and so the article goes on and take a little pot shot at hunters about um this thing, and and it's like I'm not going to get into it right now. There's people we should we should have, we'll have someone on to talk about it. There is some healthy debate about this, okay, where the lead comes from and all this, and then and then uh and some people would some some people view that uh the con the the the, the that's not entirely to blame for the demise of the condor and all this kind of stuff. But it's it splits politically in some ways. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pat Durkin on our website recently wrote a thing about increased use of copper ammo, right? And and what's going on in California where it like they can't use lead anymore and like. And, and certain ammo is hard to find right now, as you know, and it like exacerbates the problem and people are very frustrated, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, gets into, you know, and Durkin's thing gets into that a little bit. Um, but it got me thinking, when you say like, uh, when you're watching a Western, and they fill them full of lead. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Long, our colleague, has a quote, um, when there's lead in the air, there's hope in the heart. Ooh, that's a good one. Will you, will you in the future? Will you be like, I filled them full of copper? Yeah. <laughs> when there's copper in the air, yeah, there's hope so in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna yeah. be a hard transition, man. Yeah. And what's copper gonna do to, you know? Well, this this one feller, Corinne thought it was interesting, but I don't think it's that interesting. This one feller wrote in about all the trouble with copper. Yeah. And I. Yeah. Endless. You know why? Because I'm not totally prepared to talk about it. Because there's like studies, that, for instance, everybody points, there's, there's a lot of stuff like people are like, I don't want to use, like move away from birds for a minute. Now, 
it's not even a debatable point. Waterfowl, a lot of waterfowl got killed by lead shot. It got killed by lead shot for this reason. Um, you have areas where you have a lot of hunters in a concentrated fashion putting a lot of pellets in the air. Mm -hmm. So you have marshlands, wetlands, crop fields where guys are shooting boxes of shells, right, all the time, and those birds pick up grit for their gizzard. And so you're in areas where there's like a, 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 a lead pellet of a size very attractive to the bird as digestive grit. Yeah, that makes sense. And you have concentrations of it in areas where birds concentrate. And so they would accumulate lead in their gizzard, and their gizzard grinds that lead up, and it was causing bird death. Yep. But then you know, a lot of things cause bird death. Cars kill birds. House cats kill a billion birds a year in the country. And people aren't like, we should ban house cats. Oh, I'd be. Right? Yeah. Wind turbines kill birds. Power lines. Skyscrapers kill birds. Glass windows kill birds. And people aren't like, we should ban glass windows. No more windows. Yeah. So, you know, some people look and be like, well, why of all the things that kill birds, why is it that the, 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 the we got to give our thing up. You don't give, you're not giving your house cat up, you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. It's complicated. Um, it is. And then the other part, the, the other reason we should like, we should almost have it be where we have like a, we should have a debate. That'd be a good idea. Get like a, one person from one side, the most informed person on one side of this and the most informed person on one side. And they go toe to toe friendly though. With time allotment. Oh yeah. We'll run like, it like, <laughs> we'll run like a debate, man. Yeah. That's yep. a great idea. You can come, Dirt. All right. I'll do the button pushing. Um, <laughs> because there's things like, for instance, some people will cite wanting to, some people will cite, like, I, I, I quit hunting with lead because I don't want my family exposed to lead. But then no one can find evidence of hunters having elevated lead. In fact, they found, they did this one study, I think it was in the Dakotas, Hunters have less lead than average <laughs> because they live in rural environments. Yeah. Right. I got some. And when you're in an urban environment, like if you, you can go in a second, you're in an urban environment where you have huge concentrations of automobiles that were burning leaded fuel and it's like in the soil and in and, and old housing areas that had lead paint that you can't point and be like, hunters are at risk of lead. You'd be like, eh, uh, Brooklynites are at list are at risk of elevated levels of lead. So, you know, there's all these arguments like human health, wildlife health. Yeah, it's a it's a rich field of inquiry, and no matter what answer you come up with, someone's gonna be pissed. Yeah. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping now with Policy Genius to find the right policy to protect your family. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They work for you, not the insurance companies. That means 
they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can trust their guidance. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Man, I've had a Helix sleep mattress for years, and man, that thing is nice. The Helix lineup, just comfortable. It feels good, and you don't get all like, it's not all like hot and sticky in the summertime. It's not cold in the winter. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash eater and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Meal prepping and thinking about what's for dinner all the time can be a real stressor. Well, using ButcherBox helps relieve that stress. With ButcherBox, you're always prepared with good quality meat in the freezer. It's the ultimate convenience with custom curated boxes shipped right to your door with free shipping, which means fewer trips to the grocery store. It's hard to find the same value at the store because what store can you go to where you're going to get free protein for a whole year alongside your order? Plus, they have a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive member deals, and they make it even easier on you with recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of weeknight meal essentials. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater and use code meat eater to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Go ahead, Dirt. As left-handers. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't know, if, Evan, are you left-handed? No, I'm normal. Where's this going? Chet, <laughs> so three of us in the room being left-handed. Normal. Babe Ruth was left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you used to write stuff on paper? That doesn't happen anymore in school, but left-handers. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, you I do. actually don't. Left-handers, you don't, you, don't have, you don't have kids. No, but they're on iPads and laptops, aren't Listen, they? Listen, man, I'm telling you, I have three of them. They write on paper. With pencils? Lead? Yeah. Pencils. Are any of them left-handed? It's not lead. It's graphite. Uh, never mind. Was old pencils <laughs> lead? <laughs> but the smudging. Yeah. Like the sure, mount- it smudges, but it's not lead. It's graphite. Okay, never mind. Disregard. Huh. I, I was excited for you to get there. Yeah. I oh, dude, I was rooting for him. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when he starts talking, I'm always rooting for him. <laughs> I'm always hoping he's going to pull something off, because a lot of times he does pull off something good, man. That is graphite. Dang it. 
Well, they did. They could have. There, there was there lead in pencils, yeah, right? There yeah, there was lead. It has to have been, right? Yeah. And yeah. think about as a young child writing them essays, getting the smudge on your hand, absorbing that. Maybe left-handers are have a higher percentage of lead. Mm. Of graphite poisoning? <laughs> graphite poisoning. You ever end up like <laughs> licking not, it off to yeah. clean it? No, I just smudge. No, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Is that what you do, Chet? No. <laughs> Lick it off? <laughs> Explains a lot, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Chester, here's a good one for you, buddy. Ready? Some Wisconsin. You ready for something from Scotty? Yeah. Hit it. A diver. This is great. A diver was going to test out some scuba equipment. Okay. Picks a nondescript spot to test his scuba equipment. What does he find in 30 feet of water? A 1,200-year-old fishing canoe. Lake Mendota. Whoa. Wisconsin Lakes. Wow. Right near Madison, which is kind of, if you think about how popular that lake is, it's right in Madison, and they still are finding stuff like There's that. There's a picture here. They had fishing weights on it and some other equipment. Really? No huh. wild? That is crazy. 1,002. So from 800 AD. What was it made out of? I may have missed that. Lead. <laughs> it's graphite. <laughs> It's a wooden canoe. Wood, yeah. I wonder if they talked about their fishing canoes like we talk about our fishing boats these days. It looks like it's oh, kind of that. lashed like together what's, with what's something. What's the beam on that? You see that? <laughs> yeah. They might have done that to hold it. I, th- I think what you're looking at there. Uh, hold it together. Cheddar is they, they didn't want it to fall apart. Yeah, that makes sense. That is crazy. It is cool, though. 1,200-year-old canoe. Lake Mendota. Some kids in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. There's pictures of this sitting in school. Speaking of little kids in school, bam! A moose busts through the window. There's a bunch of pictures of the moose standing in the classroom. What? Yeah. Right on into school. Anybody hurt? It's a messy-ass classroom. Hmm. Saskatoon. Oh, that, geez. Yeah. Looks like a lot of blood on the ground. Unless that's, I don't know. Water bottles. Sanitizer, it looks like. There's a hand sanitizer bottle there 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 was a bear that got into the bozeman high school a few years yep, ago yep. okay chester got some stuff on chetiquette you ready for this oh sure a lot of people writing in with chetiquette questions for chester i love it too he i kind of want to read this letter but it's so i'll laden. read i'll read it but, but i'm gonna do uh effing no. oh yep all right i'll read it no how you how do you want to read it so let me let me lay the groundwork burbank washington this just happened october 27th three youth hunters got up in the morning and beat what looked like an older gentleman to his duck blind so they were okay racing to get there the guy that wanted to get there to the blind first but didn't get there goes and touches off four rounds near the kids, storms off. They got scared about what was going to happen, so then they packed up their decoys and went back to their truck. And what awaits them on their truck window, Chester? There's a letter. <laughs> um, who, who wants to do the beep when I point at him? Sam. Oh, you know what? Let's just do this, man. Just read it. 
And then, um, because there's, it, it's, it's really something. Every line has a. I mean, yeah. I imagine there must be a dozen of them in there. Mm-hmm. Some of them he doubles up. Okay, Phil, I'll read it. Phil will do can, it. Okay, Phil will make it more. This is the letter Thanks, left Phil. on the truck. More this is from the old you. man. This is the old man's. And this okay. he needs to have his mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> <laughs> with soapy yeah. water. Yeah. It just this drives me nuts. But I'm reading it. <laughs> this is my f- spot, asshole. My grandpa f- built all the blinds on this. F- shoreline next time i see this truck here the truck is mine you best watch yourself boy and stay the out of burbank you are very lucky i don't slash these tires right now off jeez! i don't think i've ever heard you say that word before chester uh that i was gonna deep oh really um Jeez I mean, Louise. obviously, in etiquette standards, that's not <laughs> that's downright rude. That's just <laughs> that's just plain old nasty. And you're talking about the kids taking the blind, right? No. <laughs> yeah, Chess is like these kids need to kids these days. Kids these days. Taking, kids these days. Taking old guys blinds. No, I mean like, there's a couple questions. Like, I'm sure this is public land. Um you know, if it's public land, people have to just, and you see this all over, you know, you, I've gotten letters from people being like, you know, get the hell away from this spot and whatnot. But if it's public land, it's everyone's right to hunt it. And, um, the other day, speaking of just duck hunting, cause these guys were hunting, Seth and I drove to a spot near Bozeman and we got to the spot. And there was a dude who was parked there, and he left a duck decoy under his tire. And I think that guy left that duck decoy there so people would know he was duck hunting. It's a small, small little spot, and you just have... Hold on I'm sorry. I was reading something. What now? <laughs> so Seth and I drove to a duck hunting spot the other day. There was a guy parked in that spot oh and he had the decoy and he left left that is a great idea he left a duck decoy under his tire so people would know he was duck hunting i think that's why he left it there he could have just forgot it but it is a good idea so like if seth and i showed up at that spot in the morning it's public land you see a guy parked there you know it's a small spot give him you just give them some space. Like, yeah. they'll go somewhere else in that particular area. It was like a one little pond. You know, you can't hunt. You know, did duck. you guys slash his tires? Um, left an- we left a very similar note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should just shut, photocopy that note and then leave it blank where it says Burbank. And then I don't know what means. Does he feel? Did you think that that man? The, the the kids were Hispanic. Is that what that is? That's a racial slur oh. for sure. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he needed to twist yeah. the knife a little bit yeah. in the end there and get yeah. a, get like. It sounds that that's what that I couldn't tell what the hell that meant, but that's what he means. Yeah, I mean, or this book is definitely. Jeez, man. Yeah, it's people just gotta stop being such assholes. Really, like I didn't even when you were reading that I didn't even get that he had like a little racial slur in yeah. there to, to, to finish her off. If you don't want some someone hunting your duck blind, don't put it on public land. 
Yeah. And if you're going to get that bent out of shape from something like that, why are you even hunting? Yeah. Is that enjoyable for you? Well, I wouldn't Bam. trust him holding That's a it. gun. Yeah. yeah. He's a little unstable, I think. <laughs> Kick this, his ass. This is I know, most, I was going to say, we should, they need to have a bunch him. of people waiting for that dude when find he him. comes back. Kick He's the most ass. riled up I've seen him the entire trip. <laughs> he, I've, takes I've he takes Chetiket yeah. very seriously. <laughs> yeah, Someone's got see, like, The veins popping in his forehead. He's getting angry. You think it's serious. It was clear, though, in that, that it was public land. I wasn't. It, it's not clear, but I'm... If it was, it is, yeah. It's, it's got to be. The, the, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, and if it is, there could be... This guy who wrote this note, he could be doing something illegal by building blinds and leaving yeah. them there. So we don't even know that, but... Yeah. Well, but, he is going to be in violation, because all states have one. He's in violation of his hunter harassment law. Yeah. And to me, that's not even like an etiquette thing. It's just kind it's of like... an etiquette thing. Ob- <laughs> That's a good s- slogan yeah. for the book. It ain't etiquette. It's a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway. So are you going to put like a blind etiquette session in there, section? Yeah. Um, yep. Sean Weaver is helping me out. Said he would like to help me out with the duck hunting stuff. That's great. And uh, he could bring, shed in, some light on that. That's great. In there, I think you boys ought to put in there a little bit about... Uh, Sky blasting ducks that are working someone else's spread. Oh, yeah, that's got to go in there. That's that's not very good etiquette, chetiquette. But there's a there's a part of it. Not that you're not a crafty little thinker. There's a part of it that's gonna be. It's almost like there, there's a sort of uh, magic to it. Of that you're not gonna be able to spell it out clearly. Oh yeah. Like for instance. We used to always spend the opening day of duck season in the Muskegon Marsh. Mm-hmm. Okay. As did a lot of people. Big marsh. Similar to like a, the Horicon Marsh where we grew up. But all those people, it made the duck hunting good. Like you got limits, right? Because they were pushing Because the birds were just flying all day because people were coming and going, whatever. But you'd go out and you'd still have to find an appropriate spacing based on the idea of, of the, the density of people that were in the marsh. Yep. If you went later in the year and it wasn't opening day, you would never, and there weren't that many people out, you would never hunt as close to another party as was acceptable on opening day because of how many people were out. And yep. It's hard to explain the stuff. Yeah, to it's hard to articulate that. It's like a big part of this is like try and use some common sense and be respectable. And that's like one of the only. Very hard to explain. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably regional, too. Yeah, but I think, you know, what would be a good way to do that is talk to duck hunters that we know in different states and kind of get an average of kind of what they're all saying and how to say it. And I feel like you could get something in there. Yep. You know what I think you shouldn't put in the book? What? Because it wouldn't be applicable to enough people. But there used to be a thing in muskrat trapping Mm. where... If, let's say you have a November 1 muskrat opener, public land, guys would go out ahead of season and start staking their sets as a way to claim. So you'd go to a feed bed, yeah, put your stake. Go to a house, put your stake. And they pre-stake it. 
Yeah. And in their mind, they're claiming it. Yeah. But there would be nothing preventing you from coming in and wiring off to that stake. Sure. Like, tell your uh, your specific story to that. I remember you were saying, where it caved in on on his trap that was there. Oh. Or is that not? I had to talk a guy out of beating my ass when I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'll tell you right where this happened. I'm not going to say who it was, but I'll tell you where it happened. There's a highway called M120. If you look on a map, find Twin Lake, Michigan, and find Holton, Michigan, M120 between Twin Lake and Holton crosses a thing called Cedar Creek. There was a undercut bank, which is like mink like to run undercut banks. They they like to they don't want they want to be, protect themselves from raptors and and stuff lives under there, frogs and crayfish and stuff lives under. So they're always running undercut banks. A common mink set. This is just. Bed your traps so there's a half inch or an inch of water over the pan right up tight against the wall of the undercut bank because he's going to be running along, swimming, running along there. I go up to a nice looking undercut bank and I'm digging out a trap bed and find a trap. Not recently dyed and waxed. No tag on it. I think it's a, it's a trap from years past. I put it in my pack basket, and I make my own set there thinking I – oh, the, the, I f- failed to mention this. It was sprung, and it was like down deep sprung. So I thought the bank had caved in, whatever. It was long, old trap. I placed my own tagged trap in the exact spot. So these two mink trappers thinking like I placed my own tagged trap right there. I can't remember if it was that day or the next day. I'm at, a, I'm, I'm at a spot making a fox set. And up roars, like this, like driving like he's in the Baja 1000, up to me. Doesn't go to me, though. Goes to my truck. I'm across the field, and he's r- ripping through my truck. Finds his trap, untagged. <laughs> And then wants to beat my ass for having stole his trap and put mine there. Yeah. This guy is huge. I say. <laughs> and I'd be, you know, and I'm like, do you, I mean, do you, don't you think I appreciate life enough to where I wouldn't do that to you? Yeah, but you didn't know it was <laughs> with your and leaving your info there too. Yeah, and then I leave like my like business card there. Yeah. Holy God, man. Put that in that chatiquette book. Yeah. But that's another thing you'd be like, tag your goddamn traps. <laughs> Cause that's the way you should do it, and that's, it's the legal coming, way. That's coming straight from Chester. <laughs> All right, Evan. Uh, to what degree do you feel like talk like you, you're uh, all over in the news? People are sending me like news articles about Black Rifle Coffee Company. I'll talk about whatever you want. I mean, I don't know. Do you feel like talking about it? Sure. You're Start all over up. in the news. Mm-hmm. On what? what? I'm doing my hand gesture. Oh, go on. Because uh, <laughs> like your your recent like news news. Yeah, we're we're prepping uh, an IPO. So we did a explain to people what the hell that means. Uh, initial public offering or IPO is taking a couple company public we're doing it through um, special purpose acquisition 
uh, which is a SPAC. So we, and it's, it, there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can do a direct listing or you can do a SPAC. And we went with a SPAC. It was a timing issue. So we, we've been preparing for this for about three years. Oh, no kidding, really? Four years. Huh. Four years. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. So I started four years ago. Well, we'll rewind seven years ago. You started the company seven years ago. I was like... Can you I, tell people how you met your wife? Yeah, yeah. I met her uh, in a coffee shop. So well, no. Was, you spied her in a coffee shop. Spied her in a coffee shop <laughs> and then found her online. Stalker nice. level 20. And recognized <laughs> that she was buying an espresso machine and, d- yeah. and realized that's the coffee lady. Uh, yeah, realized it and then <laughs> chatted her up. And, uh, and she said, I've sporting, been watching you. She's sporting some guns, trying to do uh, pull some shots on that espresso machine. It's like, that lady's got some vascularity in her arms. She probably likes to run a bit. And uh, I was right. And that was uh, before I started the company. But when I started it, it was, you know, building a big, big company was never necessarily something that I was, I was goal driven for. It's more of given the circumstance of the size, it would be great to be able to share the success of the company with my customers. That's what I wanted to do from the very beginning. So I've always built it around what I call a self-licking ice cream cone. So, <laughs> are you gonna write a book someday called the Self Licking Ice yeah, Cream? Follow me here. <laughs> With the subscription, it was always about delivering, you know, fresh the freshest roasted coffee to people, like straight out of the roaster. As I talked about it earlier with you, it was that a coffee has about seventy-two hours for it to do what's called off gas. So it's expanding through the roasting process then it stops uh and then you bag it and then you ship it out to your customer and it has a couple weeks in there that it it really tastes good uh and so i wanted people to have that i wanted to the customers to see what i saw in coffee have this like great experience fresh roasted coffee that was through the subscription and i teamed up with companies early on to get discounts for you know their gear and a lot of it was all built around the lifestyle. So a lot of it was, you know, shooting and hunting and things like that with these other brands. So if you join the subscription, you could get a discount with these other companies. It was like, well, shoot, if, if I, you know, Federal was one of our early companies that we, we did business with. So if you took a discount from Federal, there's a lot of guys that spent a lot of money on ammo. Could theoretically pay for your coffee through the entire year. So with that subscription was my original intent. And then the, the second layer of that was to be able to share the profits with the customers as well. So if we grew, stock goes up, uh, theoretically speaking, between your discounts and stock price, you should be able to pay for your coffee. So that's what I've always wanted. I've always wanted to build it that way. I didn't understand how complex it was, you know, being naive. Well, being dumb when you when you really start to <laughs> when you start to build these things like oh you have to go in and build basically these these financial institutions within the company that audit your financials it's, it's fairly complex and robust robust process is there a thing that uh 
is there a regulatory measure that 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 a, a company has to sit, hit a certain size in revenue to go public? Like, could someone theoretically take a one hundred dollar company public, or is that blocked? I, you know what, that's a good question. I don't know. I know that what we, when we were very early on, they wanted us to be bigger, uh, because they didn't feel the stock price would perform well if it was not a bigger size company. So they wanted us to hit a gross revenue number before they would, they would do a direct listing or even entertain the idea. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if there's a, if there's a regulation that says that you have to meet X because there's a lot of companies that will go public based on a future possibility of profit. So they don't necessarily even have oh, any profit center. Yeah. Yeah. So probably not, but that's a good question. I don't know. So what happens to you now? Uh, well, in the next couple of months, we'll get a ticker. Um, it's all based on on the Fed and when they when they approve it and then release it back. And then from that point, you know, people will be able to purchase it. Huh. They can't. Right now, it's under a different ticker through the SPAC. Yep. But then, uh, then we'll get our own ticker probably February, March, depending. I don't know. It's all based on federal timing. And when they're going to sign off on it. So when you're sitting there watching business news and all the stuff going across the bottom, mm-hmm. you'll see BRCC run across the bottom? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched it every day since we've announced it. But it's not every day, I guess. Every other day or whenever I was like looking at my phone trying to figure it out. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. From backyard plinking to serious training to even big game hunting, Humorexairguns.com has what you need. Humorex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns, from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting-edge rifles that fire 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead-tipped arrows. As air gun hunting has grown across the nation, Humorex Airguns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, Humorexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Humorexairguns.com also has a lineup of airsoft and paintball markers that replicate your favorite concealed carry pistols, which allow you to practice drawing, aiming, and firing for pennies on the dollar and without loading up to go to the range. Visit humorxairguns.com to see how far air power has come since you were a little kid. That's humorxairguns.com. 
Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. We were deer hunting through a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Was that... uh? A, a welcome distraction or were you were you kind of wishing you were like back at command central there were only maybe a couple seconds i was wishing i was back at command central uh this is a great distraction and it's not a distraction it's a focus right it's a it's a it was i, I was thinking a lot about that today where being quiet and then moving through the woods after you know, blacktail was something I was only focused on that. So not thinking about business, you know, every minute or talking about it or having meetings or something like that. It was a, it was a really good opportunity to make the announcement, uh, then come out here because it was out here that I think the day after, I think, um, it was a, it was really good to get away from all of it because you can be completely absorbed and uh, quite literally a little bit useless uh, to the the entire endeavor. It takes, you know, months, if not years for this stuff to mature and then move forward. There's so much work, you're never going to get it done. So five days, six days, that's, it, it's not going to mean anything. Oh, like in the, the, in the grand scheme. Yeah. yeah. It's like green, it's like a grain of sand in a beach, right? It's just kind of all absorbs. It's not, it feels like it's really important at the time. And I knew that because you know, there were guys who were like, well, why do you want to go out there now? And I'm like, because I want to go out there and go hunting. And <laughs> no, <laughs> now that's why <laughs> Like you don't start, you don't do this stuff. So you chain to it all the time. And plus, you know, you don't pass up an opportunity to come hunting with, you know, Steve Rinella and meat eater. You don't do that. Like that's, it doesn't really matter. I would have had to have had some significant family issues that would have, had to had to trump that opportunity you know you think about there are tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that would probably you know trim a limb to do that like an individual you mean their arm yeah yeah so you can't squander an opportunity unless it's just absolutely something you know traumatic that's happening in your life because that's disrespectful to the opportunity ultimately oh man thank you that's kind let me lay a little groundwork for people, and then we'll talk some, like, your impressions of the specifics. Uh, we, years ago, filmed a, 
we we feel a few uh, blacktail hunts in southeast Alaska. So it's Sitka blacktail. You have Columbia blacktails, which live in um, California, Oregon, Washington. You get up into BC and they switch them to Sitka blacktails. They're like they're a different creature. Uh, I mean, they, they resemble one another, but you know they have some morphological differences, some behavioral differences. Um, and we filmed hunting them in the basically the summer, so August, early September, uh, when they tend to be found up high. They kind of have a reddish coat. They're pretty easy to find. And then these things have a way of vanishing down into the into the coastal rainforest. And we filmed a hunt years ago where we tried to hit the rut, um, but went earlier just because of scheduling problems and had a really tough hunt. And and I came away blaming it on timing. Oh man, we were two weeks early, right? But turns out that wasn't as <laughs> tough as what we had now. And then I picked. If you t- talk to like really good blacktail hunters, um, they're as adamant as our whitetail deer hunters in the Midwest say about like first week of November. Like if you're right. going to hunt any week, first week of November. It could vary because of whatever, but that's like if you're going to like. Go by calendar dates a year in advance. First week of November is when you want to be there. But uh, there is, it's substantiated. There's some lower deer numbers right now. Samantha, you were informed of this by the uh, Tongass National Forest, right? Yep. They warned you. Mm-hmm. Some low deer numbers. Um, You get all kinds of opinions about it. It seems that, that one of the more popular opinions about it is... Uh, wolves Mm -hmm. too many wolves not many deer around and even places like where i've just just in my knockings around over the years places where i know there to be trails that are generally like pretty beat down trails struck me as being mossy not beat down and it was just it, it seemed like just low amounts of sign um and and then precipitation uh, but we had like the great opportunity um, to wander around in in a uh, virgin, old growth, coastal rainforest, which is something. Oh yeah. What did yeah. you think of just? I mean that that whole kind of dripping mossy scene there, which isn't totally foreign to you because mm-hmm. you grew up in in the Northwest. Yeah, I think we, we talked a little bit about it because it was. I was stationed out of Fort Lewis and we did a lot of training in Washington state. So it reminded me of, you know, those years. Uh, but it, it's, um, it's, it's beautiful when, when you're looking at it uh, and you're experiencing it. And I think there's a combination of things there, which, you know, to go out and experience the elements the way they are uh, in this, this is, you know, it's cold and it's wet and it's green and everything's wet. But to become part of that environment where you get to just experience everything about it, um, you know, I, I truly love those opportunities. Like, I don't think that if you're, if you're not enjoying the environment because of the moisture, you're, you're not enjoying the, the entire immersive experience for a lack of a better definition. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to get into, um, you know, lamenting about what you're doing when you're in such a wonderful, a beautiful place where everything about it is giving you this, this 
experience that you should be, you know, soaking up for a lack of a better term, like a sponge. Yeah. And instead of wishing it were otherwise. Oh, I didn't wish for a second it would be otherwise. That's that that would be. I, there are times I, 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 I get guilty yeah. of that a little bit now and then. Yeah. We're just wishing it wasn't raining. Oh, I do. I yeah, I, yeah. I do. But then I instantly catch myself. I'm like, well, that would take away from the experience. Yeah. Because the funny thing is about is as I'm wishing it's not raining. How do I always describe it to people? It's a coastal rainforest. Right. Yeah. It's like temperate rainforest. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then you go there and it rains. I'm like, damn. <laughs> what gives? I was wishing yeah. it was otherwise. You were? <laughs> yeah. Not the rain. I was wishing that you guys had seen more deer. Oh, oh. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know even that. Nope. I still want <laughs> to see more deer. <laughs> I think that made the story better. Yeah. Eventually, because yeah. we oh, got eventually, a deer. Yeah, it, was yeah. a little, it was looking like, you know, we, yeah. we kept at it. I mean, well, yeah. I'll, I'll just tell people. I was telling, I was, we hunted four full days, dark to dark. Um, saw two does and then, and that's moving nonstop. Yeah. Moving, calling. Yeah. Moving, yeah. calling. Like, like hunting, hunting. hunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up high, down low, in between. Yeah. It was tough, man. Um, you spent a bunch of time in the military. Uh, and I, and I always like, maybe it's not true, but I always imagine the military, that the people who excelled in the military have like, um, developed like a level of discipline that I don't have mental, mental discipline that I don't have. But I noticed that you, would it just be like against your upbringing to have complained or brought up that we weren't seeing things? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's just not something you're gonna do. No, never. I started after a few days. I'm like, I don't think uh, he's gonna do that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm glad he's not gonna do it. No, and I don't think he's gonna do that. No, no. I, it goes back to the whole thing. Like this is a, you know, this is an incredible opportunity, right? And I, I was explaining this. I think it was yesterday or something like that. Like, you know, you're you're part of American history at this point, right? You and and the brand and the people that you bring in. You're part of American outdoorsman history. So for me just to sit out here and get the opportunity to go out and hunt with you, I would be foolish, if not like really remiss to, to you know, cherish this opportunity and say, man, I, I'm get, I get to hunt with Steve. Like how many other people in America, like going back to that same point I was making, want to do that if not internationally? So... You know, I get to watch you in your environment as an American, you know, outdoor icon and then get to share several days with you in this, you know, incredible place where regardless of how much it rained or, you know, if you're cold or whatever it might be, like that's part of it. Like I, I get to, you know, live those five days. Like what a, what a, what an incredible gift. And so if I would have been like, dude, we're not seeing a lot of deer. That's not why I'm here. Yeah. I'm not here I'd to do like, that. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, no shit. You know, it's like, oh, you wish you were seeing yeah. more? Yeah. You, you, yeah, like master of the obvious. You've been like, yeah, no shit. You're not seeing any deer. So it's, you know, it is. It's it's hunt. It's it's the it's it's hunting, and you know, I've I've had a lot of really cool life experiences that 
you know, and this, this will live up there with those, those experiences, you know? So for me, it was just like, yeah, Hey, we're hunting. This is great. So dark to dark. Great. Extend the daylight. Let's walk a little bit more. Let's have, you know, have a little bit more time in the field because it, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't really respected. So, you know, that's one thing that is, you know, truly thankful for. And I thank you guys for really inviting me because, uh, it was an incredible time, and I really can't thank you enough for 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 allowing me that opportunity because it's incredible. You know, I I can sit here and say that the more I think about it, I um if you don't count a dead one, yeah, I never did see a buck. No. Yeah, we were set up calling, and Dirt said he saw the flick of a tail. Yeah, two three hundred yards <laughs> yeah. away, <laughs> heart yeah. stopped. Yeah. And I could tell by his like <laughs> demeanor. I could tell by his demeanor that it was true. And yeah. then attention was focused in a way that I couldn't see. And I could. It's funny because all I could, I can just like see you, you Evan. And I could read by your like whatever posture. I could read you seeing it. I could read you. Um, knowing that there would soon potentially be a shot opportunity. I could see through your posture, the shot opportunity present itself. <laughs> and I never saw the deer until he walked up on it. But it's like, it was like I was watching it just by watching sort of like the, the muscle tension or, right. or something in like, I'm like, that is the, the, the sort of physical, tightening of a man who just saw a deer <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go back to something which is like you said there's like a level of discipline right where you're talking about like the level of discipline that you know some guys in the military uh get if they're you know they're professional soldiers i think you know any any person that comes to that i would say fractions of a percentile within their profession it takes a significant amount of discipline it just does. And, you know, seeing you out there and then seeing you, like I've been around a, a ton of guys that are masters of their profession and you, you can see it. You're, you're part of that like really small fraction of people that have a ton of discipline. So I think that that's, that was one thing I was, I was, um, I was very um, in awe of, I was like, just looking at how you're working the entire scenarios uh, throughout those days of hunting and then looking at you and saying, oh yeah, like I, I thought about it multiple times. It's like, if Steve was in the army, he would have been a Delta Force guy. Like if he was in the you army, he would have been a Delta Force <laughs> what guy. What would dirt be? Like Delta Force? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek would have been with me, just yeah. like dragging our knuckles. Like he would have been a machine gunner. He's just like dirty. <laughs> Get her he done. Been, he'd have yeah. run the little dip booth in the commissary. Yeah. yeah. Black market, you know, Copenhagen. Get, get so laser focused and per, the pursuit of what you're going for, it was, it, it was really, uh, it, it, it's not, it doesn't pay the, the right respect to the term but it was not only interesting but man it gave me a whole new level of kind of what you do as a profession it does like it gives me a, a, an entirely entirely different perspective oh thank you man yeah. touch on uh 
real quick before we wrap up, touch on shrimping. Those things are delicious. They're incredibly delicious. Um, the 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 experience of going out on the water because I, I I haven't been out on on the water a ton. I've spent a little bit of time in the ocean, uh, but going out. We well, spent a lot of time on rivers. A lot of time on rivers. Not, not a lot of time yeah, in the not ocean. ocean yeah. yeah, you know, going out and and you know, experiencing the ocean with you, understanding that you have much more confidence in the boat and your skills than I do. Uh, it, what confidence in your boat and your skills? It's a joke, fellas. It's me saying I don't. He has a lot more <laughs> confidence than everybody else uh, in that big water. Oh, I'm with yeah. you now. No, that yeah. was a good joke. That was a good joke. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it, it's uh, it's work too. I can imagine you know dumping those pots, and then I, I kept thinking about the manual process of dragging those things up after you dumped them because mm-hmm. you're talking about those guys, those old shrimpers pulling those pots up. Yeah, and without that assist yeah man we used to hand pull smaller ones and it was uh you know it's it's, it's like recreational but it, it, it gives yeah. you sort of a glimpse it gives you a glimpse into the the commercial life right you get worn out trying to coil those That's, things yeah i was gonna say yeah. i was like my arms got tired just trying yeah. to throw the rope into a perfect circle <laughs> you took to that fast though evan the sh- just filming you guys the shrimp and when it you guys were in action together it was like after the first pot pulling, it was like, yeah, we're, like we're like Bubba Gump. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. Well, that's what I like about him because he's like, oh, that's how you do it. He just ex- explains it and then he expects you to know it. Like you've been doing it for 10 years. He goes uh, around here through this and around that. And then you just hit the switch. You good? Okay, we're going. You know? Like, yeah. What'd you say? Yeah. I, I don't even know. I, are we in the woods or are we on the water? I don't even know where the hell we're at right now. Yeah. And, uh, no, that, that entire process was so, so cool. Um, you know, the, the, the shrimping itself and being able to rip those things apart, that's probably one of the most satisfying things outside of like, you know, pushing in bubble wrap, like tearing, oh, yeah. tearing shrimp heads apart. Yeah. We're, we're it is like that. Yeah. It's, almost, is, it's almost as cool as pop bubble wrap yeah. with kids. Yeah. Seth and I were talking about it. I was like, man, I could do this for a couple hours before I get sick of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like playing game, like I want to get all of it. Yeah. And then you're thinking about how delicious those things are. I don't care how hard it is to lift that. Yeah, it's, that. Called, yeah, it is, it's called popping heads. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, I want to tell people about the thing that, that we did for cooking that i thought was cool and i had never said i'd honestly never seen it i didn't know that's how it worked but you had what, what do you call the beans green yeah they're green yeah so they're green beans green coffee beans mm-hmm. yeah from uh ethiopia okay. and over like a we we have a boiler we use outside to boil you know it's like a, people use them deep fried turkeys mm. we use it to boil crabs um big propane fired burner on yeah. the river blaster the blaster a blaster yeah. yeah the blaster and uh took the beans which look like they're like khaki colored i don't know yeah. tan yeah tan yeah you wouldn't look at it you'd look at it and think you're looking at it's like a i don't like know you look at you look at it like a like a like a, like a lentil yeah like a lentil. that's a good way of putting yeah. it you think you're looking at a lentil but mm-hmm. it's a coffee bean yep and then in a cast iron pan over that outdoor burner mm mm-hmm. mhm slowly and methodically over how many minutes do you think it takes that one took us a while it took us 25 minutes give or take uh just your classic cast iron skillet 
turned them into like those glossy dark coffee beans, man. Yeah. Not yeah. turned them into, but roasted them. Roasted them. Yeah. Roasted them over fire. Mm-hmm. And then um immediately, I know you said it like ideally you let them sit a few days. We didn't yeah. do that. We didn't do it. Immediately ground them. Yeah. And then made like a coffee rub that was just some brown sugar, salt, coffee. Pepper. Pepper. Yeah. And uh, I've eaten a lot of, you know, like every time Dick and Harry in the planet sells some kind of coffee rub, yeah. right? You run into it. But man, that tasted like coffee. Yeah. That was a good coffee rub. I would suggest people to do that. Get like really, like make it from scratch. Yeah. And not with your old ground up shit you got in the cupboard. Well, you got to make it. If I have one suggestion for guys making coffee rubs out there, which I've made several, is you get a, a light whole bean coffee and you grind it. You, you got to use, well, the reason I say a light roasted coffee is because whatever you're going to put it in, whether it's a pan or an oven or wherever you're going to go, it's going to, it will cook the coffee more. So if it's already a really dark French roasted coffee or something like that, and it's already been ground, you're not getting the additional layers of taste that you would from a lighter coffee that you have to grind and then put in to your coffee rub that also continues to roast on the meat because you want it to have a little bit of time on the meat while it's roasting and not burning it into char. Does that make sense? Yeah, and if you're already on the cusp of burnt. Yeah, it just turns more burnt, and that's why I think a lot of people don't use a lot of coffee in their coffee rubs because they haven't been able to put enough coffee in there where where it doesn't turn into just really burnt, acidic uh, char. It, It just doesn't taste very good. Most of the coffee rubs that use a lot of coffee... They don't appeal to me. But if I use a really lightly roasted coffee, freshly grind it before I put it in the rub, that's when it always gets better because you can taste, to your point, you can taste the coffee in the rub. Yeah. It was yeah. it was it was nice. It like tasted light coffee mm-hmm. in a very nice way on deer tenderloin. Oh, then there's one last hot coffee tip I want you to give people. Uh when someone asks if you want light, medium, or dark. Yeah. For the I always caffeine. thought they were giving you escalating caffeine levels. Right. That's not true. Explain that. Yeah, it's a myth. So, huh, raise your hand if you, in this room, raise your hand if you thought like I did. And, until when? You knew? About caffeine levels? That light, medium, dark was like increasing caffeineness. Oh, yeah. No, I thought it was all the same caffeine. I just thought like a dark roast is like your real. Like bitter, strong coffee. You didn't yeah. think it had anything to do with how much caffeine was in there? No. Oh. I didn't think it was a measurement of caffeine. I just assumed that like the darker it got, the more of it was in there. Mm-hmm. The more of everything. Right. And that's not, it's not true. So your, your lightest coffee, and there's some, um, wait, there's, a, there's a white coffee, which is, it's barely roasted, and that has the most caffeine per gram. And then if you go light, medium, dark, it has the most caffeine if you're in a light coffee versus a dark coffee because as you roast the coffee, you're burning it. So you have less of the uh, intact coffee bean. So you're deconstructing the caffeine as you're burning it. and You're making smoke and carbon. And, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. So if you want more caffeine, you need to have a lighter coffee. Uh, and, and it's interesting because a lot of people... They think that. They're like, I want a dark roasted coffee with lots. I want, I want something really strong. 
well, it's a strong flavor, but it doesn't have as much caffeine. Um, I drink really light coffees, not because I like the caffeine. It's because I like to taste the coffee itself and not just burnt. Hmm. Once. One thing that I have noticed is when I go to my normal coffee spot, I usually get a dark roast from that. And then almost every little cafe that I go to, you know, some mom and pops greasy spoon cafe, it always seems like a lighter roast coffee at these places because people don't like them super dark. Mm -hmm. And it seems like I always get way more jittery and like feel more caffeinated at these mom and pop stores and it's Probably because you're drinking more cups. No. Well, it could be two things. Because there's you're talking to a guy that owns a coffee company. <laughs> there's, there's two. There's two. Well, I'll tell you. Wait, the if you talking about Chattakit, I'd be like, Well, I don't know if I drink. Chattakit. I was just saying no because I don't know if I <laughs> no, drink as many cups. I'll, I'll tell you oh. the reason. So here's the reason why: is less expensive coffee is a robusta. It's it's a different strain. There's two main strains. I see that turn around. Robusta and Arabica. So if you look at the two main branches, Arabica has, we'll call it 30 to 40% less caffeine than the Robusta. But the Arabica is more expensive. So the Robusta... Oh, hit me again. I want to make sure I memorize yeah. this. So you got two main strains of, of coffee, Arabica and Robusta. Okay. Robusta is less expensive, but it has more caffeine. It's a smaller got bean. It. It's less expensive and it has more caffeine. Arabica is typically more expensive and has less caffeine. But Arabica, you can get better tastes out of it. So you can increase the profile. So your better coffee shops are typically going to serve an Arabica. Your diners are going to typically serve Arabica or a Robusta. And so that's why you feel more jittery is because they're using a different caffeine or Hmm. a different bean. When you get that, I think yeah. that's pretty cool because I always wonder why. Just like that's the reason because you can buy it in bulk, and a lot of the the less expensive coffees that are out there, you're going to buy them in like five pound bags, and a lot of the diners are going to go for the less expensive option through a food vendor, and you know that's what they're going to use, and they're and they're not using proper water to coffee ratios either, which is a totally different conversation. But sure, we don't need it. We just lost half your podcast. <laughs> after after Chester does the Chattakit book, yeah, which we still haven't okayed. He's got to go through all the channels, right? He's got to get his project greenlit. Yep, we haven't greenlit it. Well, let's say he gets it greenlit. Okay, he's going to do that. He's going to go on to have all of his other adventures in life. And then he's going to open a place called Chester's Egg Factory. Yep. And it's going to be a breakfast coffee place. You're going to serve, gonna serve Black Rifle. He's going to yeah. serve Robusta. <laughs> of course, Black Rifle. Yeah. <laughs> then you guys will show up more because he gave you guys these. We got those free little... tokens, dude. <laughs> don't be telling people about because people. I don't want people breaking into my house to take yeah, my free yeah, token, man. That's right. I got a, that, that's a lifetime token. I see. Yeah, yeah. it's lifetime. I got to say, too, when the, the rub you made was... Uh, when we had the coffee this morning, yeah, wrapping up, there was an aha moment of how good that was. It's really good, right? Yeah, just because it was so freshly roasted. Yeah. And then one more thing. Yep. Something special about the blacktail deer. Please. Pleistocene relic. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and with we that, saw it. Yeah. With that, ladies and gentlemen, join us next time on the Meteor Podcast. Thanks, everybody.
Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business.